0: Beloved, if you have your Bible with you this morning, please, let's turn to the um, 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I'm not going to read all 40 verses. I know that I say that every week, but I have to say it again, because I always want to read all 40 verses. But I won't. We're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 14. But we're not going to, of course, look at all those verses together. Okay, well, promise. I promise. All right. Let me read it to you. You can follow along in your own Bible. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man, because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through faith. By faith, Enoch, when he was taken away, And so, sorry, by faith Enoch was taken away and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. Before he was taken away he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called Obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact... From one as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But when they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. And we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. So today we're uh, preaching from verses uh, 5 five and 6. But as always, you need to look back before we look forward. Uh, I couldn't remember if I was here last week. I don't know if that's uh, because I was sick or whatever else. But uh, in my mind, the last message I preached is still very fresh. And uh, so I was very confused. I, was, I was, couldn't remember. And uh, I was like, hmm. But so that you remember what was preached. Last time we looked at Abel. The first man of faith. The first hero of faith. Mentioned here in our text. And really. The testimony of Abel. Is one who worshipped by faith. We remember that. This whole chapter is a. a, a Exhortation. Of what true and real faith looks like. Of how faith. The way of faith has been from the beginning. It wasn't a new invention that came with the invention of Christianity. But rather that the writer here, or the speaker, or whoever, the Holy Spirit through this person, is pointing his readers, his listeners, back to the very beginning and saying, look, it's been this way from the beginning. And indeed, as I said before, when we talk about faith, it's very important to understand what faith is, what it looks like. Here is a Jew writing to other Jews. And we know that there are three categories contained within this book. He's writing or speaking, because it could have been a sermon that it was written down to three different groups: to the believers, to the nominals, Those who have professed a faith but lack any kind of living faith. They say they are, but in reality they're not. They're nominal in their belief. By name only. And then those who are unbelievers. Those who are maybe culturally Jewish. But they're not in any way, shape or form related to the religion of Judaism. They're just the normal people out there. They may come and be a part. They may be the children of believers or the children of the nominals. Those who profess to believe but really there's no reality in them. An outward but lacking an inward. And he's writing to these people and he is describing, painting a picture for them of what faith looks like. And of course as a good Bible expositor. He points them back to the Bible, to the evidences of what the Bible describes true and real faith looks like. So, of course, he begins with Abel, the father of the faithful. He who was martyred for his faith, killed by his jealous older brother. Remember, Cain came with his sacrifice, his offering. The fruit of his own works. And he brought a sacrifice that was uncalled for and unworthy. That God had not prescribed and therefore God found it lacking. Abel simply obeyed. He knew the instruction. He knew that it would be a life for a life. That without the spilling of blood as the Bible says there can be no forgiveness of sin. And therefore he brought a representation of his own life. And he brought a a lamb, a sheep, a goat, something from the flock that was to be killed in his place. Uh, A symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ who would give his life for you and for me. And in this one he trusted. And so we see in Abel an example of what it means to worship by faith. Faith is worshipful. It worships in an obedient fashion. In the way that God has prescribed. And we looked at again, if you remember, of, there are two different kinds of religion in this world. The religion of faith and the religion of works. One that says, I am enough. I'm good enough. Yeah, no snell, yeah, no yeah, I, into some I don't need to repent. I don't need to turn back. God can accept me the way I am and be pleased about it. Doesn't He understand how lucky He is to have me? And we remember that parable that Jesus told, that story that Jesus told about the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. How the tax collector stood in the back of the big courtyard and didn't look forward and he hit himself in the breast, the sign of contrition. A sign of, I am so guilty. I am so wrong. And he said, oh God, have compassion on me. Have mercy on me. Lord, atone for me. Because he knew this, the extent of his sin. And he knew that the only one who could cleanse him from his sin was God himself. But yet in comparison, we see this Pharisee, this religious person. This Super good guy who knew all his Bible verses. And knew all the, the church stuff to do. And he was part of that culture. Indeed the Pharisees. Their name means the holy ones. The holy group. The, those set aside. The, we're, we're not like everybody else. And in his prayer. He looks up to heaven and he says. I thank you God that I'm not like that person over there. And he lists all of his goodness. He lists all of his credentials, the things that he thinks is worth <clears throat> me. That I even tithe the, the, the small herbs that I have in my garden. It, it, some of you have herb gardens, you know, like little pots, you grow potatoes or tomatoes or whatever you just do. Could you imagine that in your tithe you even take a, a tenth? Of your little herb garden, your little, the tomatoes that you grow in your garden, you calculate all those. That's how holy you are. Your thyme, your dill, whatever else you have in your garden, you, you've said a tenth of that aside. That's how holy you are. He said, Well, wow, that's really righteous, but it's uncalled for. God never prescribed that. This man is inventing a righteousness that does not come from God. This Pharisee. And so we see that the Bible teaches that there are two different kinds of religions, of ways of trying to find justification, ways of trying to find peace with God, one by our own effort, which never succeeds because the Bible says that all of our righteous deeds, all of the best works that you'll ever do in your life are like filthy rags. You know that, you've heard that before. Filthy rags, dirty diapers. Like a baby's dirty diaper. Could you imagine if we had a speaker at our conference? A very important person in the kingdom come and at the end of the conference, it's always, always, we give them a gift, don't we? And this year, Phil comes and says, Phil, we so appreciated you. This is what we, we we take one of the dirty diapers from the lone grain baby and we, Wrap it in a nice parcel and we say, This is what we think of you. This is our best. This is what we can give you. Don't think Phil would come back again, do you? He might find it funny, but he might be offended. What on earth is this? And if in a human standard that is what happens, how much more in a heavenly standard? When God sees right into your hearts, He knows. That it's not a joke. He knows that we think that our best, which is like dirty diapers, we think is better than God's righteousness. Better than the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We count our filth as higher than God's purity. And yet, in comparison, the Bible demonstrates this way of faith. The way of that God will provide a lamb for us. A sacrifice. And that it is the acknowledgement of that. The acknowledgement that we are not worthy. The acknowledgement that we cannot do it by ourselves. Though we need an alien righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. A righteousness that comes not from ourself. We can't help ourselves. We need someone to help us. And there we saw that in Abel. <coughs> and how his Faith, which was from the beginning, still speaks to us today. Now we are in verse 5. By faith, Enoch. Now Enoch was seventh from Adam. He was, I don't know how you want to count that, the grandson of the grandson of Adam. Seventh from Adam. Uh, his story is in Genesis 5, verses 21 to 24, I believe. Four verses. And there in that story it tells us that at the age of 65 he became the father of Methuselah. We all know who Methuselah was, the oldest man who ever lived. And the Bible says that for 300 years after that he walked with God. In the four verses that talk about this man Enoch, twice in those verses it comments upon his walk with God. Enoch was known because he walked with God. He was the first man, apart from Adam, who walked with God. Now, did he walk as Adam did? Adam walked with God in the flesh? No. But he walked with God in the spirit, by faith, reconciled and restored He was a believer who walked as a believer. His walking with God is something that you and I can do. He isn't some sort of supernatural being who walked in some sort of super spiritual other dimension. His walk with God was his day and daily life. And that expression, walk, I think it's very interesting. The basic activity that a human being can do to show that it's alive, really, is to walk. You know I mean? That's, that's our, our default. Some of us can run. No, 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 no. Some of us can walk. But we all can walk, for the most part. I mean, if you're disabled or whatever, I understand that. But the basis of how we live our lives is we walk through life. And the Bible talks greatly about how we walk our day and daily That basic form of living. Enoch walked with God. The Bible says here that his walk with God was of such a high standard that God took him so that he did not experience death. Why is that important? Well, when Enoch was taken, Methuselah died and the flood happened. Noah's flood the Bible says. God rescued Enoch. Took Enoch from facing the flood. that, When the wrath of God was poured out upon this earth. That because of his faith. Because of his walk with God. He was preserved from that judgment that came. Abel is a demonstration of worshipping by faith. Enoch. Is the demonstration of how one walks by faith. How one lives your life. Now we know that Abel died shortly. You know, I, mean, I don't know how long he lived. You understand, But he didn't live to a grand old age. He was cut off in his prime. His brother jealously murdered him. Hit his body. And his life was cut off short. But Enoch, Enoch lived 365 years, so the Bible tells us. He lived to a grand old age. I'll be lucky if I get to 65, my goodness. We are shown here the necessity of living consistently by faith. Faith isn't stops and starts. It isn't that I make a confession in the beginning and then as the time goes by, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and my walk with God gets colder and lesser and more distant so that God is far away. And I look back at my younger days when I was more passionate and I had more enthusiasm, and I say those were the golden days of my walk with God when I really knew God was way back then. Enoch is the demonstration that it, faith doesn't look like that. Faith is a day and daily experience. It should increase and not decrease. Your experience with God should get greater, not smaller. Now sadly... In our generation, when we think of having relationship with God, we think of being brought into strength. Don't we? we live in a superhero generation. Now, I know that all generations have their superhero type things. You know? The ancient Greeks had their Greek gods. You know, they're making a comeback, aren't they, through Marvel and these other things. Where We have these demigods, these superhuman beings. We think that power... And of, of knowing the secrets of the divine somehow in some way makes you Superman, you know? That nothing touches you and you're, you're strengthened and, and, and puffed up and powerful in the idea of the world. Nothing can get a hold of you. Sadly, that's the idea of power and of, of, of knowing the divine. Has anyone ever seen the film Shazam? It's a kid's film. My boys watch it, it's Disney, where this young child is given a magic word, the name of some wizard, and he says the name, Shazam! And all of a sudden, he's turned into the ultimate human being. He's tall and handsome and has all these powers. and, And that's what the world thinks when it thinks of someone who has experienced the divine. Some sort of worldliness that gives you strength. But we know that that is not of the kingdom and that is not of Bible understanding. We think of the great heroes of our faith. I think of Job. Job knew God and was called the friend of God. He was a righteous man. God boasts of Job. And yet Job in his nearness to God suffered like no man had suffered before had everything taken away from him, had his children, had his fortune, had his self-respect, his position, and was brought low. And it wasn't because of some secret sin. It wasn't because he had somehow in some way disappointed God. God was there, and through all of the difficulties and all the hardships, his faith was demonstrated to be real. It was through the hardships, through the trials that Job's faith shone through. And we look at him when we say, faithful man. Time and time we, in the Bible we see God allowing difficulties to happen in the lives of people in order that the quality, the reality of their faith be seen. That hardship happens, difficulty happens, and yet they still keep on believing. Not in a puffed up worldly fashion where they say, you know, oh, we're so great, we're so mighty, but rather in one that is holding on. I, I always like to think of Moses. Moses, when he was a child, remember, Pharaoh was killing all of the generation all the young boys that Pharaoh or the jo- Moses belonged to. Oh my goodness, that was hard to say. And Moses' parents, seeing that there was something different about Moses, took him and they put him in a, a, a basket, you know? Like a little raft type basket, and they, they launched it out onto the, the onto the Nile. Now I don't understand how any parent thinks that launching your child out on a little basket to a river that is full of hippopotamuses, crocodiles, uh, vultures, and all those kind of things. That's a good idea. Please don't do that. That's not good parenting 101. Do not put that child on S.A.R. Okay, do not. And yet they did. And God watched over the child. And, And we all know the story that he washes up, and the, the daughter of Pharaoh finds the baby, and he's adopted into the household, and he's brought up in amongst the, the, the wise and the, the, the powerful of Egypt. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's fantastic. He's going to be the advocate, he's going to be the speaker for the, the children of Israel. He's going to be able to deliver them because of his political power, because of his strength. And yet, circumstances happen. Moses loses his temper, murders someone, a guard of pharaoh's army and then it's exposed people know about it and in his guilt shame panic he flees for all of his earthly power he is helpless he goes off and he goes to Midian and has his adventures in Midian sees the thing and comes back we all know the story I don't have to tell you But we see there in that, that all of his worldly ability, all of his worldly power, all of that strength that he had as a a member of the household of Pharaoh did not help. Did not help. It was only when God brought him down to the nothings. He was a shepherd. We all know that story. He was a shepherd sees the the bush burning and goes up to it and God calls him into service and, and sends him back and he goes through all the adventures of those things. Enoch is an example of how we are to live our lives day and daily for the rest of our lives. You, God expects from human beings, okay? Not just from Christians, but from human beings. First, is he an able you see enable worship. You're called to faithfully worship God in the way that God has called you to worship Him. Are you a worshipful person? And I don't mean just a person who puts up their hand and sways with the music. Not just saying a person who enjoys a good song. I love singing. Don't sing enough. But that's not worship. It's to the acknowledgement of who God is, what God has done for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. They're professing the identification, the owning and being owned by God. That is the act of worship, walking in his ways and keeping his requirements. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. There is an act of worship that is called. Not just here on a Sunday morning when we gather for worship. But for the day and the daily. The activeness. How you are in your life and every aspect of your life. You are called to be a worshipful person. Are you faithful in it? It is required of you. God requires you to worship him. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John said, and this is the work of God that we believe in his beloved son or begotten son. We are called by God, all of us, as human beings, not just as believers, especially as believers, but as human beings to offer up worship, The second example again being Enoch, that we are called to faithfully walk all the days of our life in accordance with his commandments. We are to know God, not just simply believe in him, as it says here, but to walk with him. It says here, before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God you and I, as human beings, we are called by God. The responsibility, the expectation that laid upon us is that we live our lives in such a way that pleases God. Now, I'm not saying that that, that, that then wins us eternal life, but faith lives in such a way that it pleases God. It says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith in our lives. We walk by what we know God has done. Not based upon the circumstances. Not easy believism in the sense when things are going well, when things are prosperous, when things are successful, when things are exciting and enjoyable. But then I can be constant in my faith. Then I can stand with the rest of the believers. But faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. Because of what he is doing for me. That motivates me to live my life in a way that reflects his glory according to his commandments. The Bible says in verse 6 here. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, again, understand that faith is not a feeling. It's not a, 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 a oh, "I'm so convinced in my mind." I have a, a steel trap will. In the olden days, way back when we were part of the the uh, charismatic movement. We were deceived into thinking that this means to have a positive, positive mental attitude. One must have a positive mental attitude. I believe a, a steel-trapped mind that doesn't give up or give in. Why, you know, positive mental attitude? And without this positive mental attitude, it's, it's impossible to please God. That's not right. When he's talking about faith, we must always remember that he's talking about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a dependency, an acknowledgement, a holding on to Jesus. As this says in the Old English, an abiding. Abiding is a beautiful word. It means to to simply rest in. And it's the idea of a baby resting in the tummy of a mum, of its mother. What does the child do to try? Does the child say, Oh, don't worry, Mom. I've got us. You know, that. what does the child do? The child just sits there and grows, doesn't it? It abides. It's safe. It's a safe place, supposedly, in a mother's womb. And the word abide, when Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you, it, it's we must rest in him, depend on him. The Bible tells us that without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, It is impossible to please God. Remember Abel who came with his correct sacrifice, the representation of Jesus, he who would die on Abel's behalf. Now Enoch, living his life in accordance with the commands of God, of being in relationship, of being reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who was to come. It's not a mental, uh, positive mental attitude that will please God. It's not your best efforts of really trying your best to stay in the faith. It is resting upon the work, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that will please God. Day and daily, not again. Well, you know, three years ago I was real. I, I made an effort and I tried. I prayed and and uh, God saved me. And I'm trusting in that. Not trusting in something that was done to me or that I did for myself. It's, the Bible says in Lamentations, His mercies are new every morning, every day. With the dawning of the day, His mercy is new and fresh for that day. That once again, the responsibility and the duty is laid upon us that we walk with our God. In every circumstance. That is what we are as human beings. What we are called to. And without. Faith in Jesus. It is, a, it is, it is impossible. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord. If he is not your saviour. If you have not professed him. And accepted him. As your Lord and your saviour. It is impossible. To please God. I know a. Lovely woman. She's somewhat religious. And she desperately wants to be approved by God. She wants to go to heaven. Yet she's reluctant to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for her absolute salvation. She still wants her to be a little bit, yes Jesus, she believes in Jesus, but in the same Instant, She wants there to be a little bit of her righteousness. A little bit of her goodness. Well I I asked you to forgive me Lord. She says she told me. I asked God to forgive me. Therefore he has to forgive me. And it was almost as if she was triumphantly declaring. That she had asked God for forgiveness. And therefore God had to forgive her. Because she had asked him. somehow, in some way, she was trying to enforce her will upon God. And beloved, it does not work that way. We must surrender ourselves. We must come to that point when we recognise and realise that we cannot by ourselves please God. That... God is pleased, not by our faith, but on the object of our faith. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He looks upon it and is appeased. His anger goes away. I've said before on that last day, on that day of judgment, when all men, women, children, the great and the mighty the small and the insignificant, the invisible, will all be gathered before the great white throne in judgment. And you will hear either one of two declarations. You will either hear guilty or you will hear pardoned. You will either come in your own righteousness, well, Lord, I didn't think I needed you. I was happy in my sin. I knew that I had done wrong, but I didn't really care. I didn't think there would be a, a consequence to it. Which is foolish. Because we know in this life, when we break the rules, we must face consequences. The law of the land. If, if you're speeding up the road here, you're through Cronabue. The, the, the traffic camera's going to get you. God, it's got me so many times, it's ridiculous. I'm doing like 83 and blip, it go off. It goes. We understand that there there are consequences in this life to breaking the law. So we must then understand that there are consequences in eternal life for breaking God's divine laws. We will not get away with it. And yet we see in Enoch the example of a man who lived his life by faith. It is possible... To live your life in such a way as to be accepted by God. And it doesn't get lesser and lesser. I love that. Me who's getting a bit old. I am the old man of the congregation. I feel old these days. My walk with God should not become lesser and lesser. But rather more intensified. More stronger. Imagine at the end of your walk being better than at the beginning of your walk. And it should be that way. We all understand that. When you begin a hobby, begin a hobby, I have hobbies. I have my jitsu, which I don't do anymore, but I would like to. Or my painting. When you begin, especially with painting, when you begin, everything you first paint looks like, yeah. looks, like looks like a blind person has done it. But then as you continue on, as weeks go into months, months go into years, eventually what you're beginning to produce actually looks like something. I say, wow, that's really good. In nature, we understand that, don't we? That with effort and time, we get better at something. It should be that way. So in our relationship with God, again, not, don't think in worldly standards that, that you have lightning coming out of your fingers or you say a lot word and you know, something materializes out of that like, you know, you're, you're untouchable emotionally, that no difficulties will ever happen to you, that you're blessed and everything you touch, you have the mightiest touch, you know the mightiest touch, whatever you touch turns to gold. That's not the Christian example. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life and yet endured great difficulties. Think of the apostles. Think of the early disciples. Think of the the Christians from the first, second, third centuries who endured so much persecution. They walked with God throughout all the circumstances of their life. Beloved, you and I must be consistent in our walk. We must know and understand that the end of our life must be greater than the beginning of it, that there is an expectation that the life of faith, their day and daily walk is one of consistency one of, of knowing God one that pleases God and again not because it's based on worth God is pleased with you because you're a good girl. Well done. Well done. We're not saying that. Again, get your mind off the th- of works-based faith. Of uh, duty faith in the sense that God rewards you because you are faithful. God is pleased with us not because of our effort but because of the object of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ who died on our behalf. We, through all our life, and again, Enoch lived 365 years, the Bible says. In those 300 years he walked with God, he was consistent in his walk with God. He held to the fact that God would provide a sacrifice for him. He was trusting in the one who would come, Jesus. Now you and I have this great Advantage over Enoch. Enoch only had a small part of the revelation. He knew that God had promised that one would come and would give himself on behalf of mankind in order to save them from their sins. But he's the seventh from Adam. There's a long space between Enoch and the coming of Jesus. He didn't, wasn't able to know even the name of Jesus. He just knew the promise of God and he believed it and he lived his life accordingly. You and I, beloved, we look back. We've been given the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God to you and I. All the mysteries of the Word have been revealed. You and I have such a greater advantage. All the missing pieces have been filled in. I don't want to say it's easier for us because sin is sin and human beings are the way they are. We're all weak. But beloved, to you and I, we have been given a great gift. The message, the gospel, the good news. We can look back and have all these witnesses and all these demonstrations we have been given the history of the word of god we're able to look back and and say because god was there he was faithful there god moved in that man's life in the scriptures god has revealed himself god has made himself known to you and to me therefore are we not able to trust him all the more are we not able to understand who he is says again in verse 6. For it is, fi- and it is impossible without faith. or Now without faith it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. Now beloved you must understand that to please God. You must first acknowledge, believe that he exists. That he's there. The basis of faith is this. That you recognise that there is an almighty power. I like the quote from Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein says only idiots. You know Albert Einstein, smart, smart man that he was. Only idiots refuse to acknowledge in the existence of God. It's obvious that there is a great power in the universe. But then sadly at the end of the quote he says. But sadly it is impossible for us to know him. Albert Einstein, one of the smartest men to ever exist in the history of the world, recognizing in all of his scientific studies that brought him back to the point, God is real. But sadly, because of Albert Einstein's sin, he could not recognize the, the God who made himself known. It is impossible for you to please God unless you believe That you believe that he is in existence. Now, when I studied anthropology, isn't that what it is? The study of man. Way back, hundred years ago it feels like. Oh gosh, those were some really boring classes that I went through. The study of man. One of the first classes that you take is the religiosity of human beings. Human beings have a need to worship a higher being. Wherever you go throughout the world, whatever nation, tribe, tongue, jungle, mountains, deserts, human beings, all human beings have some sort of divine being or have historically have had a divine being. Some origin myth, some representation of God or the divine we are made to worship. We are made to believe. We are created to have this God-sized hole inside ourselves. Excuse me, that, that's from the old life. But that's true, there is. And it's interesting to know when the world sciences recognise that, that we have a need to worship. The danger, the difficulty is that then we create God's of our own desire to worship. Gods that reflect our our interests and our wants. Now we live in a very an age of, of atheism, atheism, or Gnosticism. An age when we no longer give our gods names like Shiva and whatever. Our gods are materialism. Our gods are convenience the state whatever we have shaped gods that are easy to serve but we are called to believe god and you whoever you are whether you're a believer or not a believer you believe in god now you can say that you don't but that's a lie i me tell you right now the bible says that that's a lie All of us believe in God. When stuff begins to happen in your life, you guys who are young may not have experienced this yet. When terrible stuff happens in your life, the first thing you do is you begin to pray. Oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Oh dear, what am I going to do? And there is a need in you. There's a a reflection, an automatic reaction that you automatically turn to help from outside you. You pray. But the sadness is that unless you pray to the right God, there will be no help coming. It's impossible to please God without faith. And faith looks like this that we acknowledge or believe in the one who is the real God. God said of himself when he spoke to Moses, I am the I am the one and only there is no other but me i am the real god i am god so we must come and believe in him understanding that there's no way around it there's no way of sneaking in the back door there's no way of deceiving him day and daily why today is called today this is the day of salvation this day not in ten years, not five years ago, but this day, while we are now in the present, we must believe in the real God. He who is God, the true and living God. And then also, that he rewards those who seek him. I I love that. We don't come to a God who is... Hard and terrible and, and, and nasty and distant. We don't come to a God who is careless or ki- or lacking in care. I don't know how we say that in English. Lacking in care. Yeah. Hard-hearted, nasty, or distant, or disinterested. One who you know, here's a man, he's like ignores you. You know, you ever seen that? Uh, these celebrities, people are like, oh, hello. And then the celebrities kind of run away, you know. And oh, don't go, oh gosh, no. They're some way on in, in a, a higher plane, disassociated with people around them. Like they're royalty. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of Abel or Enoch. The God of Enoch is a God who welcomes those who come to him. He's a god. Do you know the parable of the the prodigal son? You know the parable of the prodigal son, where the son goes off and is a waster. He says to his daddy, "Daddy, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance, all the money that I'm going to receive when you die. Give it to me now. I I, I can't wait for you to die. Give me what that which is mine." And the father in his foolishness says, you so what, okay. Would have been such an insult to the Jews to hear that. And the father says, no problem, son. And the son takes his wealth that would have been his after his dad had died, goes to a far and distant country and squanders it. Drugs, prostitutes, lives his life in excess with no thought for tomorrow, only in the today. The Bible says a terrible famine hits the land. Disaster after disaster. The young man is left bankrupted. So much so that he has to be a pig herder. One who cares for pigs. And he, he used to have to steal the seed pods, the bean pods that the pigs ate. And then one day he comes to this realization. You know what? My life was so much better. My, even my father's servants live better than I do. Maybe I should go home and perhaps he'll take me into his household and I can be a servant in his house and the, the idea is the one who carries out the filth, the, the, the least of all the servants. And we all know the story. He gets up and he goes back and as he's approaching his father's home mansion, the father sees him and runs Grabs hold of his son and celebrates and brings him in and restores him to his position. And in that parable, the father is God. And the son who deserts his family, deserts his father, wishes that his father was dead, is you and me. It's not, we always like, we always like to think of it as being that person over there, you know, that bad person who's bad to their parents, that bad person. But beloved, you are the prodigal son. I am the prodigal son. We are the prodigal son. And we are the ones who have rejected God. We are the ones who have denied him. We are the ones who have squandered the gifts that he has given us. And praise God, we are the ones who have realized that Light has been given to us and we can return. And God, you know in that parable, the father had had all right to say, no, 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 no. no. Legally, you're dead to me. Legally, I could have you put to death. How dare you come? Who do you think you are? But we see this great contradiction. This father who runs and embraces his son, clothes him and restores him. That is the God that we come to. That is the God that we know and that we serve. He has come to us and he has embraced us and he has restored us. He has reconciled himself to us. So when the Bible says that God rewards those that seek him, understand that we're not coming to a negative God who's like... I knew you were such a disappointment. You're really going to have to work hard to earn my forgiveness. We're coming to one who says, forget about it. Let's, let's not talk about it anymore. I love you. And he brings them in. To please God, you must have faith, and that faith must look like this. That you believe in that one God. And that he exists, that he is there, that he is. Always there. You swim in an ocean of Him. He is, you turn to your left, that's right, you turn to your left and He is there. You turn to your right and He is there. You go forward, He is there. You go back, He is there. Five minutes ago, He is there. Five minutes to come, He is there. You go to the highest mountain, He is there. You go to the deepest depths of the Mariana Trench. He is there. You go out to the furthest point of space that you could go in your lifetime. He is there. He is closer to you than a heartbeat. He is there. And therefore, our faith must accept that he is there. He is the true and real and living God. And even more than that, That he rewards those who diligently seek him. Those who who come to him. Now all the blessings of Christ are ours. We're not just talking about getting to eternity. Life after death. And I've said this saying before. I know I repeat myself. I am old. Please be generous and gracious with me. There's an old Pentecostal saying from the 1800s. Like when the Pentecostals were real, you know. And it says... uh, Eternal life isn't pie in the sky when you die. It's steak on your plate while you wait. It's real life here and now. It's just not something that's going to happen to you after you die. But your walk with God day and daily, you receive those blessings. You receive those rewards. God seeks to reward you. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it? I don't know about yourselves, but I'm old. I'm old enough to think to myself, oh God, I'm such a disappointment. You've done all this for me. You've been so good to me. You are so good to me. And I just continually falter and fail and disappoint you and I'm not what I should be and I'm sorry, Lord. And God says, you know what? Here's a reward. Not because of I'm good enough or I'm not good enough, but because that's who he is. He is generous and loving and giving. He is a giving God. Now I'm not saying go out and live your best life now and be sinful and wicked and all the rest of the nonsense, please. That is not what faith looks like. But have the right understanding of who God is and what he's about and what he's like. That he is loving, kind, full of loving kindness. That he is generous, that he is caring, that he is gracious, that he is sensitive, that he is compassionate, knowing our weaknesses. He's not going to turn you away. He's not going to chase you out. He's not going to run you off. He's going to welcome you. Remember the father from the parable. He's going to welcome you, restore you. Now again, the good news, beloved, is that It is possible to walk, to live your life day in daily for the next 300 years in communion and right relationship with God. Your faith must be a faith that is lived out every day and in the way that God has prescribed it. It's not enough just to simply say, I believe, and then there to be an absence of the evidence of belief in your life. We know that faith, that which is inside us, demonstrates itself outside as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. We understand that that shows itself in our relationships with our family and with our church family. How do I know that you love Jesus? You love the body of Christ here on earth, the local congregation. You have a relationship with Christ through having a relationship with the church. Anything else is a lie. Anything else is idolatry. We are called to be faithful in our faith. Beloved, isn't it great, good news that we can be like Enoch? We are like Enoch. If you are a believer here today, you are like Enoch. You believe that he exists. You believe that he rewards those who seek him. Are you going to heaven? Do you have eternal life? Not because of your goodness, because of your good deeds, but because of the effort of Christ on your behalf. Rest in that. Don't give in to the the whispers and insinuations of our age. You're not good enough. You're a disappointment. You fall short and therefore God is not happy with you. That is not biblical, it is cultural. Have you ever heard of something called the Yantilag? I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. You know, it's something that exists supposedly in this country that continually keeps you people down. I, I personally think it's a, a result of, of nominal Lutheran thinking. You know, Lutheran, Lutheranism begins with, Luther when he was studying, he began with the sinfulness of man. Calvin begins with the holiness of God. How can sinful man get to God? And Calvin was like, no, no, let's begin with God. And there's this kind of badness about you know, the culture in which we live. Kind of, oh, we need to cast off that. We need to renew our mind with biblical thinking. We need to be amongst the joyful. Those who are built up in their most holy faith and can live their lives in such a way. That we are unashamed in such a way as we receive the blessings of God. That though we know we are unworthy, I'm not saying that you're worthy, but we know that we have one who loves us and runs out passionately to get us. Beloved, it is not just the duty of Christians to walk with God, all men everywhere must repent and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. You cannot say, I didn't know. Nobody told me. Beloved, Jesus himself said, this is the work of God, to believe in God's son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd help us. Lord, so often we are dominated by worldly thinking, of of worldly success needing. a Lord, we, we... Persecute ourselves, we we piss ourselves, Lord, fledgling ourselves, in an uh, attempt to make ourselves better, to show you that our repentance is true and real. So often, Lord, we are overcome by our sense of unworthiness, and it doesn't come from biblical thinking. We aren't. We recognize that. We acknowledge it, Lord. That. Our minds are so focused upon ourselves and our own failure that we forget about our saviour, about the God who reconciled us, about the God who rescued us. Oh Lord, we desire like Enoch to live our lives in such a way that we might walk every day with you, that we might know you. Lord, that we might be among those who are counted in the heroes of the faith, just simply because we know you, we walk with you day and daily. Father, we repent of of being influenced by this world and of the culture in which we live. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. May our faith, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, be demonstrated, Lord, in our worship and in our walk, That Lord, you who are the God who exists and that you are the God who rewards those that seek you. Lord, we would know you and be at peace in you. Father, we pray these things for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.